Thank you. All right, guys, don't forget if you're signed up for the, or even if you're not signed up and you want to go to the um, CCA Northwest Men's Breakaway, it's this Saturday. We're going to meet in the back lot at 5 a.m. and then drive on down carpool. So if you could drive, that would be great. I'm going to drive, Nate's going to drive, and I'm not sure who else is going to drive, so we're going to need more vehicles. But um, 5 a.m., and we'll be leaving sharp there. So I have the sign-up sheet, so if anyone is not going to go, if you wouldn't mind just scratching your name off so we're not waiting for you. Well, we won't wait for you. <laughs> I mean, because we're going to have to go. But, but at least we can say, oh, they're not coming, so we won't feel bad on that long drive <laughs> having left you behind. So anyway. Let's pray. Father, we pray for tonight. Lord, we ask that as we once again open the book of Jeremiah and study it, we pray for life application. Lord, we know that your word is alive and it speaks of things that have taken place already, so historical things, but it also speaks of prophetic things, things that have yet to be fulfilled. And so, Lord, we pray, Lord, as we study the scripture tonight, that we'd be able to glean from both the historical and the prophetic. And Lord, we also pray for a couple, Mark and Connie. Mark has cancer, as you know, Lord, and uh, it just looks like it's gone to the point where his death is coming. We ask, Lord, that your will would be done in his life. We've been praying for Mark and just pray, Lord, if you choose to heal him, that would be wonderful. But Lord, if this is it for him, we know that there's an appointed day for each one of us. We pray, Father, for Mark and Connie. We pray that you would give them your peace. We pray, Father, that they've truly placed their faith in you, and um, then they would have hope. But Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Jeremiah chapter 29. I hope you read ahead because, you know, if, you, if you've noticed, um, it really is close to impossible to really cover everything in just two chapters of Jeremiah unless we just read the text. And you could do that at home. So... As Nate and I are studying and preparing uh, what we believe the Lord is putting upon our heart from the text, we might pass over something that really spoke to you, that maybe the Lord really ministered to you, and we passed right over it. And um, so, you know, you want to you wanna get the most out of it. You want to read it on your own and, and study it, and then um, as we're doing this, this Bible study Wednesday night, then of course we could glean from the things that we cover. So chapter 29, it begins, now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive to the priest, the prophets, and all the people to whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. So Verse 4, here's the letter. 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. So again, guys, and we know this, it's clear in Jeremiah, this wasn't happenstance, this wasn't an enemy getting over on them. This was God's sovereign will. This is what God had determined would take place for them because of their disobedience to him. So he says to them, build houses and dwell in them, plant gardens and eat their fruit, take wives and beget sons and uh, daughters, and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters that you may be increased there and not diminished. Now, of course, the Lord was not saying, we want you to marry Babylonians, because of course that goes completely against his word. So it's the Jews that are there, the Hebrews that are there in Babylon, they're instructed by the Lord, you need to settle down, you need to settle in, uh, you're going to be here for a while. And in fact, as we read a little further in the letter, we'll see that the Lord tells them exactly how long they will be there, and that will be that 70 years of captivity. So I think this is interesting, because the Lord, you know, as we've seen over the past few weeks, this is coming, the Nebuchadnezzar is coming, the Babylonians are coming, you're going into captivity, you resist, you die. The Lord wasn't saying, you resist, I'll kill you. He was saying, you resist, you'll die. The Babylonians will kill you. If you submit, then you'll live. If you count your life dear to you, then just simply go with the flow because this is my will for you at this time. It seems so strange to us, doesn't it? Because in our thinking, we think, well, if, if there's an enemy, we should do everything we can to fight them, to resist you know, them. And, but in this case, the Lord said, no, I want you just to go. This is, what, this is my plan for you. I want you to settle down. I want you to settle in. I want you to increase and not diminish or decrease because you're going to be there. And then look at verse 7. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive. And pray to the Lord for it. For its peace, will, uh, you will have peace. For in its peace, you will have peace. So not only does he say, I want you to settle down, settle in. He says, I want you to pray for whatever city you happen to end up with or in, in Babylon. Think of that. You know, guys, we're told in the New Testament that we're to pray for the governing authorities. That's so hard to do nowadays, isn't it? I find it hard to do. Um, but we're supposed to recognize that, you know, there's a purpose, there's a plan. You know, this kind of anti-policeman. Well, God tells us that we're to honor those who are in authority. That would surely apply to police officers and, and uh, you know, the mayor and whatever it might be. Um, it was funny. One time I was uh, with some of my cleaning crew. I have a rotating cleaning crew. They're all my grandchildren. And uh, I had a truckload of them and, and we're driving down the road. We had finished cleaning, so we were going out to eat. And um, one of the grandkiddos said, Papa, who's the mayor of Oak Harbor? And so as we're driving, it, it was during the summer, my window was down in the truck and we just drove by the courthouse, and there was the mayor, and I said, good morning, Mr. Mayor. And he says, good morning. And we know him because our daughter, oldest daughter, used to be friends with his daughter a long, long time ago. 
And um, the kids thought I was mocking the man. And they said, Papa, why would you say that? I said, that's the mayor. That's the mayor. You asked who the mayor was. That's the mayor. Oh. Anyway, great timing. But we're supposed to pray for those in authority. We should be praying for our own city. You know, guys, you can complain about things. We should pray for our own nation. We can complain about things, or we could pray for the peace. And I'll tell you what, if there's anything important, I don't think there's anything more important today, second to praying for the salvation of the people of the nation, is praying for the peace of this nation. Because we are, we are, we are poking our finger we are poking our finger uh, presently at Russia. We are poking our finger at China. It's like we want to get into a fight. And I don't know about you, I don't want to get into a fight. And I surely don't want my grandchildren being drafted. You know, I, I lived during the Vietnam War, and I remember the draft. And I remember guys getting their, you know, their, their draft card. And, and uh, you know, by the time you know, I was in high school, Vietnam had become a very unpopular war. And we realized that we were sending our young people there to be slaughtered. And I'll tell you, I'm very, very cynical when I look at our nation and just the things that are happening. We need to pray for the peace of our nation. And we need to pray that the leaders who are making these decisions that really don't affect them, but they affect us, that they would stop doing this. Well, anyway. Again, just trying to draw some life application from the thing. Verse 8, And thus shall the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not, or, uh, thus says, excuse me, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams. So guys, obviously, this is the false prophets and diviners. And, and you know what, guys? In every generation of the church even, there are false prophets. They say things that aren't backed up with the word of God. They act as if they're hearing a direct word from God, and yet they are deceivers. I thought it was interesting when it says, nor listen to your dreams, not their dreams, your dreams. And he says, which you cause to be dreamed. You know, you, you look at YouTube, I guess it depends on what you watch on YouTube, if you, if, you, if you watch YouTube. I go on YouTube quite a bit, and I listen to a lot of my, my kind of prophecy shows, you know, uh, Tom Hughes and Brett out of uh, uh, Portland, Oregon, and, and Jan Markell and everything. So, so the, you know, the, they kind of know this is what he likes, and so they kind of feed me this stuff. But I'll tell you, there are so many videos out there of people who have these prophetic dreams. Let me tell you my dream. And I'll tell you, you listen to them, it's like they don't even know the word of God. They're saying things, and they're saying, thus says the Lord through my dream, and yet these things don't even line up with the word of God at all. And you know what? Usually, if it's not, you know, the rapture is going to happen on this date, which doesn't line up with the word of God, because no one knows the day or the hour. Or uh, there is not going to be any rapture and, uh, you know, wonderful things are going to happen and, you know, talking about revival or whatever. And so you got to be careful of that type of stuff. I think it's, you know, I'm a dreamer. 
I mean, literally a dream, not just a you know dream. <laughs> but I but I have a lot of dreams. I sleep very soundly at night, and I have very vivid dreams. And I remember many of my dreams, you know. And some dreams are really, you know, they really have an impact upon you. you go, wow, Lord, I don't know what that's all about. But that, that you kind of file it into the, you know, the file of until further information, you know. But we need to be so careful because sometimes we could cause our dreams by the things that we're, we're kind of putting into our own mind. So he warns them. He says, verse 9, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good toward uh, my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place for I know and here's that famous verse we have it right around the corner there on the wall for I know the thoughts I have toward you says the Lord thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope now I'm going to stop there and we'll come back to the next verse which is very very important but you know, guys, consider this. They're, they're told, I want you to settle in. You're going to be there for 70 years. Two weeks ago, the last time I taught, um, I said, Daniel read this portion of scripture that I was, I was studying at that time. We were studying at that time. And it was because it had mentioned the 70 years. And we know from Daniel chapter 9 that Daniel was reading Jeremiah, and that's when he realized we're going to be here for 70 years. And I think I misspoke two weeks ago. I think I should have waited for another week because this, no doubt, is the letter that Daniel read. And when Daniel read this letter, you kind of get the impression that Daniel was quite a bit older. He wasn't a teenager any long. He had been in Babylon for quite some time. So that kind of gives us a, a reference, you know, a time frame of when this letter came. It, it wasn't sent immediately uh, as, uh, you know, captives were in ca uh, went to Babylon, but it was much later. Many years have gone by. And, and so they get this letter. And once again, we see you're going to be there a long time. Your heart just kind of sinks. I mean, if you were in their sandals, you'd say, oh, man, 70 years. And, and I'll tell you, a lot of the people, they would just start counting up the years and say, well, I'll live out the rest of my days in Babylon. And that's true. Because no one lives forever. And others, maybe the younger people would say, um, and, and maybe the people that were born in captivity, they might say, Man, I can't wait to see Jerusalem. My parents are talking about it all the time. I can't wait to get back there and see it, you know, and they'll be seeing it for the first time. And then the Lord, you know, speaks this wonderful word of hope, for I, I know the thoughts that I have toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Guys, listen. The replacement theology gang. You need to take them to scriptures like this. Replacement theology. They say God is done with Israel. 
There is no future. There is no hope for Israel. Israel is done. Israel rejected Christ. They are done. God's never going to deal with them again. The church has replaced Israel. The Lutherans say it. The Presbyterians say it. The many reformers say it. But the Bible doesn't say it. God doesn't say it. God says, there's a future for you. And, and guys, we know what that future is because of the word of God. We know that, that, you know, right now Israel is flourishing as a country. You know, their technology and their wealth and all. I mean, this, is, this really is, is surely one of the reasons, you know, the, the natural gas that they have. Well, wouldn't it be a miracle? You think, you know, they're surrounded by nations that have, have oil, and then you have this little country, Israel, and what's up with that? You know, no oil. And, and it, wasn't, it wasn't known, it wasn't found until the last of the last of days. And, I mean, you just add that wealth, potential wealth, compared to all their other wealth, you know. Uh, many times we say, this is coming from China, this is coming from China, this technology is from China. Let me tell you, a lot of the technology is not coming from China, it's coming from Israel. And, um, but the Lord tells us that there will be this hook in the jaw, and Russia, and Turkey, and Iran, and, and what, what are we hearing today, guys, in, on the news? I mean, there's not a day that goes by in the past few weeks that we don't hear Iran mentioned. Iran is, you know, they're, they're building up. We already know where Iran stands. They want to drive Israel, little Satan, into the sea, into the Mediterranean. And then they want to deal with big Satan, the United States of America. That's, that's where they're at, Iran. And we see them moving in this direction. We see Iran making friends with Saudi Arabia. Which is interesting, because in, in, the, in the Ezekiel text, when Iran and Turkey and Russia and these other nations come in to, to attack Israel, you know who protests? Saudi Arabia. What are you doing? Have you come to plunder? You know. So we're seeing all of these things lining up. But God has a future. He has a future for them beyond, beyond, surely beyond the Babylon captivity. He has a future for them beyond the horrible time that's coming, the time of Jacob's trouble, the great tribulation. He has a future. He has a plan. He has, he has great things in store for Israel. But look what it says in verse 12. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations. Oh, that's interesting. Where are they? They're not in all nations at this particular point in time historically. They're in one nation. They're in Babylon. He says, he says, and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you to the place from which I caused you to be carried away captive. So guys, listen. With Bible prophecy, in Jeremiah's prophecy, with Bible prophecy, 
we're, we're dealing many times with kind of a near and a far application. So obviously the Lord is speaking to them. He's talking about, you know, their future, you know, after the Babylonian captivity, there's a future for them. But he's obviously speaking about something that's going to happen later on in their future when they're scattered to all nations. Now, guys, again, we know AD 70, the temple was destroyed, the Romans sacked the city, the children of the Hebrew people were scattered, they were dispersed. I mentioned it on Sunday. We've watched in our lifetime, and I could say that because most of you were probably alive, maybe some of you, well, I think all of us were alive, to see the regathering of Israel. Not, not that we're old enough to, to have seen 1948. I'm not saying that. I don't want to insult you. You're not that old. But, but, um, but to see the regathering of the people. We've watched that in our lifetime. And uh, I'll tell you, when, when our kids were younger, and, and really we saw an uptick once the kids were kind of out of the house. So that kind of tells you how recent it was. But many times, you know, if I was watching the nightly news and there was a, you know, a commercial airliner there and you see all these people coming from whatever country they were coming from, there were many people coming from Africa. And so you had these people coming from Africa, they're Jews, they're Hebrews, and they're coming back to the homeland. And, and I would say to my kids or whoever had to be there, maybe to Tracy, and I would say, we're watching Bible prophecy being fulfilled right here. This is being fulfilled before our very eyes. We need to recognize this so that we can appreciate that God is a God who says what he's going to do before he does it. So when he does it, we may know that he is God. So, guys, so he's speaking about a future event beyond the Babylonian captivity. Now, verse 15 on down, he speaks, of, speaks to those who um, remained. So there were those who refused to leave, and, and you know they weren't forced to leave. Remember that Nebuchadnezzar came in, there were three times that he came into Jerusalem, to Judah, and uh, took away captives. And so there were some that were holdouts, you know, maybe they went and they hid in the mountains and then came back out when the Babylonians left, whatever it might have been. But the Lord speaks to them. And he says, um, let's see, because you have said the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon, therefore thus says the Lord concerning the king who sits on the throne of David, concerning all the people who dwell in this city. People, uh, let's see, and concerning your brethren who have not gone out with you into captivity. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will send on them the sword, the famine, and the pestilence, and will make them like rotten figs. Remember chapter 24? That cannot be eaten. They are so bad. And I will pursue them with the sword, with famine, and with pestilence, and I will deliver them to trouble among the kingdoms of the earth to be a curse and an astonishment and a hissing and, and so on and so forth. So again, the Lord is saying, you need to be obedient. You need to be obedient. This is, this is, this is your judgment. This is, this is what you need to do. You need to surrender. You need to submit. 
you need to go in. You need to pray for Babylon, for you know whatever city in Babylon you might be in. When you're there, you need to plant gardens and you need to build houses and, and you need to settle down because some of you will spend the rest of your days in Babylon. So you make the best of it. And I want you to, because here's the thing. They were, in one sense, it's almost like when the family of Jacob, remember they went in as a family, they came out as a nation. But when they were in Egypt, uh, toward the end, of course, they had hard taskmasters over them. But, but they lived a fairly peaceful life up until the end. It was the hardships of the end of that, again, that was ordained by God so that they wouldn't want to stay in Egypt because all they knew was Egypt. None of them alive knew anything but Egypt. And so, but remember, they had Goshen. And so in one sense, even though they were in a foreign land, they were with their own people. And they could live, they could keep their, their language and their, their traditions and their culture and, and just everything. They were, they were free to live their lives, you know. And truly, those who were in captivity in Babylon had that same kind of freedom. Now, we know there were individuals. We know that the handsome, the good-looking, I guess you'd rather be ugly at that point in time. But the good-looking, I don't know why that was important to Nebuchadnezzar, but the good-looking, the smart, you know, people who could really pick things up. Remember, he wanted those young people, and that's where we see Daniel. Daniel fit into that category. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their Babylonian names. And they went and they served in the court of Nebuchadnezzar. And then the kings, of course, that followed. So Darius and then uh, Cyrus. And, but, um, but, but there was this word from the Lord, you need to be obedient just do what i say the ones that are staying don't think that they're better off because this is what they have to look forward to the sword famine pestilence it's not going to be easy for them because they chose to stay in the land now verse 21 i'm trying to speed through this because oh is it it's not 10 till no that's the uh, minute and a half okay good yes whoo I was having a men's gathering moment again <laughs> last year. Beep, beep, beep. Anyway, um, verse 21. We have kind of the ringleaders of the false prophets that were prophesying, don't listen to Jeremiah. Don't li listen. This is the true word of God. We're out of here. Pack your bags, guys. We're going home. We're going back. And so he deals with them. And then verse 24, we have a fellow by the name of Shemaiah, Shem and, uh, and, and he writes letters. And so he wants the people in Babylon to understand that the true false prophet among them is Jeremiah. So don't listen to Jeremiah. So, you know, guys, you see this, this opposition, you know, it's interesting today that there is a growing animosity and opposition toward pastors that believe and teach 
in the imminent return of Christ. It is such a strange thing. You know, when I first got saved, it seemed like the majority of people that I knew or, or come to know, and not just people from our church, but just people that I worked with that were Christians and everything, that everyone kind of had this understanding that Jesus could come back at any moment, believed in the imminent return of Christ, believed in the rapture of the church, most believed in the pre-trib rapture of the church. And nowadays, man, you're hard-pressed to find people that believe that. And, and I'll tell you, some of the guys that I listened to, I was just listening to uh, uh, a teaching today, not a teaching, it was just kind of an interview, really, and uh, Tom Hughes, who was my mother's pastor in California, and he, he has, you know, throughout the week, probably three, three times during the week, you'll have short little um, things on some aspect of what's happening in our culture and how it ties into the Bible. And then he'll have shows that are a little bit longer. I really enjoyed listening to him. But he was talking and he was saying that um, there are people that say to him, I hate you. You are a false prophet because you, and he said, because they say, I'm either not agreeing with them that the rapture of the church will have, have to happen on this particular date. And he says, I've heard that for years. And a lot of, you know, that date is long behind us, so it never happened, you know. Or people who say, um, you're a false prophet or false teacher because you say that there is a rapture of the church. Now, you might wonder why I'm talking about that. It's going to tie in in a moment. You'll see. So, dropping down to chapter 30. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write in a book for, uh, for yourself all the words that I have spoken to you, for behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will bring back from captivity my people Israel and Judah, says the Lord. And I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their, their fathers or their forefathers, and they shall possess it. Now, once again, and we see this, guys, the book of Jeremiah, it kind of repeats itself, doesn't it? And it's because the Lord wants to assure them. It's almost like, if you will, and I, this illustration doesn't go over well because we have such a weird view about discipline nowadays, but it's kind of like, you know, my mother used to say, this hurts me more than it hurts you. I never believed her. <laughs> my mom used to, she used to use a switch and, uh, it's, you know, Keep your therapy to yourself. I'm a perfectly balanced person, even though. It, but she, we had a lemon tree out in the backyard, and so you know she'd say, "Danny, go get a switch." So I'd have to break off a switch. So you know, the, it's like the honor system. You know, I could get that really flimsy one, which she'll make me come back and get another one, and uh, and I would bring back the switch, and you could hear that thing. Wow! This hurts me more than you. No, it doesn't. You know, though, once you become a parent, you realize that aspect of being hurt because it's hard to discipline your child. We want to bless our children, and it's hard to discipline them. I'll tell you another story, just so you guys could really think my mother was abusive. Back in the 60s, in the 60s, you know, 
Um, everything was, you know, uh, not everything, but, you know, bell bottoms. My parents were really kind of hip parents. And uh, bell bottoms, and, and I had bell bottoms, and I had, and the belts were like super, super wide, real wide belts. And I was mouthing off to my mom, and she grabbed that belt, and she, you know, smacked me, and I put my finger back, and it broke my pinky. And so I went to the doctors, and, um, and the doctor said, uh, well, yeah, that's broken. You know, it's like, <laughs> and she said, and the doctor said, um, how did it happen? And so I'm pausing because it's like, you know, and my mom said, tell him. And I said, and, now, and again, this is so foreign for you young people. I know you'll need therapy after this because it, it doesn't fit into your cultural setting today. But I, and, and, and I'll tell you, and I'm joking about that, but if you were to tell a doctor today, it'd probably be a completely different thing because we have so many twisted minds. Because everything's abusive nowadays, which is ridiculous. So I told him, I said, I mouthed off to my mom and she spanked me with, my, with a belt and I stuck my finger back, my hand back there. And he looked at me and he said, I bet you'll never do that again. <laughs> <laughs> they were all in it together. Anyway, look at uh, verse 5. Thus says the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with child. Now, guys, I want you to follow this. I told that silly story, but I want you to note the sequence or the, the context of this. The Lord has just declared through Jeremiah, I'm bringing you back. I'm going to restore you. It's going to be okay. In essence, that's what he says to them. And then it goes on, thus says the Lord, and this doesn't sound okay at all. This sounds really bad. So has a man ever been in labor with child? So why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor? And all faces turn pale. Alas, for that day is great. What day? Jeremiah, what are you talking about here? What's the Lord trying to tell us here? I thought you just gave us some good news. We're going to be going back home soon, you know. And what are you saying here? Guys, this is that that dual, that near and far application. The Lord, as he's speaking comforting words to them, you're going to come back home. He's also proclaiming to them something that is off in their future. He says, all faces turn pale, alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. And... It is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. What's going on here? What is he talking about? Now listen, guys, if we weren't careful, we'd just read through this and say, well, it's just a title for, for what they were going through, you know, during their captivity, you know. I, I suggest to you that he's speaking about something else. I suggest to you that he's speaking about the tribulation. The great, the great Tribulation, the Tribulation, the Tribulation is seven years. How do we know that? We know that from Daniel chapter 9. 
77s are decreed upon Israel to accomplish six things. We know that from that prophecy and from the rest of Scripture, so the, the, the New Testament, that 69 of the seven have been fulfilled. There's a missing seven years. Where's that missing seven years? Oh, it's in that book that pastors will tell you, not this pastor, not Nate, but pastors will tell you at other churches, don't go into that other book, that last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. That's the last seven. You guys have read it. You guys have studied it. You know that that's the last seven. Don't let anyone convince you that's, that's not the last seven of Daniel's prophecy. You say, how do we know it's seven? We know it's seven because the Lord says seven years. The Lord breaks it up into halves, three and a half years. The Lord breaks it up into months, 42 months. The Lord breaks it up into days. We know that it's seven years. The time of Jacob's trouble, Israel, is Jacob, right? Right? You guys know that? Yeah. So that's Jacob. And, and it's interesting how in the word of God many times, you know, Israel will be called Israel. And there are times and it will kind of come back and it will, though you, God will use that, that, that name Jacob at different times, which is interesting. But I, I want you to look at something. Turn with me to Daniel. So keep your hand here in Jeremiah, but turn with me to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. So in Jeremiah, it says, for that day is great, so that none is like it. That day is great, and there's none like it. Chapter 12, you there? Look at verse 1. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. So not the church. Gabriel's not appointed to the church. I'm sorry, Michael is not appointed to the church for the church. It's for your people. It's for the Hebrew people, for the Jews. And there shall be, listen, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. This is not speaking to the church. The church is not a nation. We are a body. Israel is a nation. Even to that time, and at that time, your people, he's speaking to Daniel, your people, the Hebrew people, shall be delivered. Now know what's Everyone who is found written in the book, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Well, this is interesting. You know, bad, difficult times are coming. It's going to be the worst time that's ever been since there was a nation. Jesus speaks about the same time, remember? And he says, it will be, paraphrase, it will be, you can't compare it to anything. Since the creation of the earth, there has never been a time like what's coming. And we know that Jesus was speaking of the Great Tribulation in Matthew chapter 24. So I want you to think about this, guys, the Tribulation. 
You know, this is why we are told in the Word of God to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Of course, they'll never find true peace until they embrace the Prince of Peace, Jesus, and they will. They will, they will, they will. But we should, you know, if we have Jewish friends, we should share the gospel with them. They're hard. Um, I think they're just as hard as Catholics to share the gospel with, you know, because they think they've got it all figured out. But, you know, there are many Jews. I think of the Jesus movement, you know. I don't know if you guys, how many of you saw the Jesus Revolution, but, you know, the Jesus movement. When I was young and kind of into, you know, just kind of searching into different things, mysticism and meditation and all of that, uh, there were usually two kinds of young people there. They were either Catholics or they were Jews, Uh, you know, because I think both the Catholics and the Jews knew that they had a belief system that really had uh, no power, no substance to it, that they were lacking. And so that's why they started searching for other things. But, but look what, now follow this for a moment. I, I want you to catch this. And there shall be a time of trouble, the time of Jacob's trouble. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7. Such as never was since there was a tribute, uh, since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. Now, you could leave Daniel, keep your hand there in Jeremiah, because we're going to come back. But if you would turn to Isaiah chapter 26. Now, keep in mind, it's going to be a horrible, horrible time. Like, you can't compare it to anything. It's going to be so horrible. But, but the Lord said to, to his people, Israel, to Daniel's people, the Hebrew people, and your people shall be delivered. So keep that in mind. So Isaiah chapter... 26. First of all, not that it's pertinent to our text, to, to where I'm going with this, but I just got I just got to take you there because it's such a beautiful uh, promise. Isaiah 26, you know, it's the song of salvation, which is a it's oh, it's worth your time to study it. But look at look at verse three. It's one of those verses we all remember. And it's such a beautiful promise. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed or fixed on you because he trusts in you. And then the exhortation, trust in the Lord forever for in Yah the Lord is everlasting strength. I love that. Well, verse 16. Lord, in trouble, they have visited you. They pour out a prayer when you chasten them, or, or when your chastening was upon them. As they, look at, listen, guys, note, note the similarities. As a woman with child is in pain and cries out in her pangs. We saw that in Jeremiah. And we see reference to this in Daniel. When 
She draws near the time of her delivery. So have we been in your sight, O Lord. We have been with child. We have been in pain. We have, as it were, brought forth wind. Nothing. We have not accomplished any deliverance in the earth, nor have the inhabitants of the world fallen. And then the Lord speaks. Your dead shall live together with my dead. Or it could read, your dead shall live together so with. So with. You'll note that the my there is not capitalized. And if you have the New King James Bible, you know that they capitalize the pronoun uh, uh, when it speaks of the Lord. So it's interesting, but there is a note there, and, and it can also be rendered so with, together with, so with. Uh, but it says, my dead body, they shall arise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in dust. And your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. So if, if it wasn't clear, you know, at the first part of it, it's speaking of dead people. It's speaking of resurrection. Now I'm going to come back to this. Verse 20. Come, my people, enter your chambers. Remember, Jeremiah said it. Daniel said it, your people shall be delivered. Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment. And, and, and then we're told what the moment is. Until the indignation is past. The indignation, it's speaking of tribulation is speaking of trouble i believe it speaks of jacob's trouble i believe it's speaking of the tribulation the great tribulation that last seven year period of time that is about to be fulfilled we are watching everything guys we are watching everything lining up for that guys i, I gosh I, I wish i had more time i wish i could speak clearer and faster but maybe you guys want to be able to follow if i did that we had banks Friday. We had a major bank go belly up. Guys, we know. Listen, 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 listen. We're awake. We're awake. We're awake. I hope we're all awake. We know that they are going to get rid of money. And they're going to the digital uh, currency. We know that's where it's going. We can see the handwriting on the wall. We now know why they're going there. Because the book of Revelation says no one will be able to buy or sell without the mark of the beast. How do you keep track of that? Listen, if I'm buying eggs from you, who's going to know if I'm buying eggs from you? But if there is nothing to buy eggs with you except for my digital currency, then they know that I'm buying eggs from you because they're seeing the exchange take place through the, the digital currency. We know where it's going. You know, guys, listen. Guys, guys, it's exciting in one sense because we know that all of this means that Jesus is coming back very soon for his church. But 
we used to wonder, those of you that were interested in Bible prophecy, we'd sit there, we'd read the Bible, and we'd think, I wonder how they're going to do that, you know? And the mark, and, and what's that going to look like, and all of these things. And I don't think any of us ever thought that they would have control over the means that we, you know, over actual currency, what we use to buy things. And now we're watching this coming. And, and the picture, just like Daniel was told, go your way, Daniel, seal up the book, you know, until the time of the end, and then these things will become clear. This is why, guys, people who are interested in studying Bible prophecy are excited, and that's why people that are excited about that, we're saying, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. Jesus. We're not just saying it because it's kind of like a nice cliche. We're saying it because of the signs, because of the things that are happening in the world. They're all lining up. So look what it says. Where, where did I leave off there? I, I got all excited. and Okay, until the indignation is past. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will also disclose her blood or her bloodshed and will no more cover her slain. So here's the thing. He speaks of resurrection. When is the resurrection? Well, the Bible tells us that there is a resurrection at the rapture of the church, the harpazo. The dead in Christ will be raised first, and then those who are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air and we'll always be with him. Guys, guys, listen, we got, we got the same book. <laughs> what other resurrection is there? Well, there's a, there's, a resur there's a second death, and then there's that resurrection unto death and judgment, eternal judgment. So on one hand, you know, I think that you know, the first resurrection, I, I think that we could safely say the first resurrection, Jesus is the first fr fruits of the resurrection. Because he was resurrected, you know, we're going to follow suit, you know, those who have died in Christ. And so, but, and I would say that on the day that Jesus was hanging upon the cross, and as he, as he gave up his spirit and he died, and the tombs in Jerusalem were open, and there were many who had died that came out. They were resurrected, and they came out of the tombs. That would be first resurrection. Um, surely, what we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that would be first resurrection. I would say that the two prophets of... Revelation chapter 11, they will prophesy, they will be killed, everyone will be able to see them. See, that's another thing, guys. Listen, certain things could not happen until our day. You could, you could not see, uh, you know, uh, simultaneously something happening, uh, you know, in some other part of the world, everyone's seeing it at the same time. But think of how we have access. All of us have access, and we can watch in the moment, live, what's happening. It doesn't matter where you're at in the world. And so it says that they will be slain, and people will rejoice, and they'll give gifts. It will be like Christmas time, because these men tormented them with their words. 
and then they'll be resurrected. Um, that would surely fall into the first resurrection category. Listen, guys. Your dead shall live together with my dead body. They shall rise awake and sing, you who dwell in the dust. It's speaking of dead people. For your dew is like the dew of the herb, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Come, my people, enter into your chamber. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. A what? A dwelling. A what? A chamber. I go to prepare a place for you. Again, that picture of the wedding, seven-day wedding ceremony. The bride and the bridegroom go into the house, the prepared place that the groom built at his father's house. They go in. That's private. That's secure. That's, everything else continues as it, as it will. You know, the party, the wedding parties, enjoying every, each other and, and all of that. All that's taking place. But they're in there. They're alone. It's a picture of what will happen to the church. You say, but Dan, this, is, this can't be speaking of the rapture because it's Old Testament. Could it be a picture of what's coming. Because you know, guys, listen, the early church was made up of Jews. The church was a Jewish movement. The Messiah was a Jew. See, this anti-Semitism, these idiots, the talk about Jews with such disdain and hatred, and then they claim to be Christians, you think, Man, you guys are so, you guys, you guys are dangerous because you don't even, you've never even opened the Bible. You don't even know the history of the Bible. This is a, this is a Hebrew book. Thank you, God, for grafting us in through faith in Jesus Christ. We have not replaced Israel, but we've been grafted in to Israel. And they've been broken off because of disbelief. And Paul says, paraphrased, but when they're <laughs> grafted back in, oh, happy days. That's a loose paraphrase. But, but I mean, you know. So, so guys, listen. It's interesting when you look at this. They will be delivered. Come, my people, enter your chambers. Could this be a reference to Revelation chapter 12, verse 6? And also verses 14 through 17, you're, you're probably thinking, I don't even know what you're talking about. You have to read it. Because it talks about Israel in the wilderness and, uh, you know, and how the Lord protects Israel. Could it be speaking of that? It could be. It could be a dual um, a, a prophecy. It could be speaking of what the church will experience, Jew and Gentile alike. Remember, the gospel goes to the Jew first, then the Greek, then the Gentile. Um, but it also could at the same time be speaking of the fact that the Lord's going to deliver them, and I believe that the Lord is going to deliver them as they flee into the wilderness to places like Petra and other places. It says that the Lord will punish the inhabitants of the earth. Guys, listen, when you're reading the scriptures, because listen, can I tell you something? There is a lack of enthusiasm among God's people. 
there is a lack of enthusiasm among God's people in this church. And there should be a zeal, there should be a joy, because we are living in the last days. And we should be excited. Every day should be a new adventure for us. Every day we should say, I wonder what the Lord's going to do today. You know, I was, I was reading something out of a little book. I, I gave it to a few of you, that book of John. You know, I, I love that book. We've given it over the years, over the decades, to many different people in, uh, you know, soft cover form. And I, we, we were able to get, I think, 10 copies of the hardcover and, uh, you know, Pastor Chuck paraphrases the Gospel of John and Rick Griffin, which uh, I remember enjoying his surf uh, drawings, uh, his uh, cartoon characters in Surfer Magazine when I was growing up. But they came together and he did the illustration and everything. And I was reading in the back of that book on Sunday morning between services, and it was Chuck Jr. saying, my dad said that he expected God to bless him every day just because of what God had done throughout his life. That's not an arrogance. That's having a right perspective that God wants to bless his people. It's not to mean that he never went through hardships or struggles. Guys, get out of your heads and get out of your... We need to not be boo-hooing. We are the last generation. We need to be awake and alert and, and, and be giving hope to people. And, and I just think that, I, I think that, you know, if there's any regrets in heaven, I think that many will regret how we lived the last <laughs> days and weeks and, you know, hours maybe even of the time that the Lord gave us. And I know that life is hard and we can get so bogged down. I know that. I know that. But we've got to shake it off. We've got to say, Lord, you're coming. You're coming, Lord. Here's the thing. I, I, I get off on these tangents. When has God punished the inhabitants of the earth? Only one time thus far. The flood. Solomon and Gomorrah, he didn't, he didn't punish the inhabitants of the earth. He punished the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah. When is he going to punish the inhabitants of the earth? Because this is written after the flood. So he's speaking of the tribulation. In fact, guys, I won't be able to go back to Jeremiah, but look at chapter 27. In that day, the Lord, with his, uh, his sword, I think of Revelation chapter 19, verse uh, 15. Remember when Jesus comes, he has a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. Great and strong will punish Leviathan. That's interesting. Boy, there's, a, there's something really cool to study there. The fleeing serpent. I think of Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. Read it tonight. What God does to Satan, what Jesus does to Satan. Leviathan, that twisted serpent. And he will slay the reptile that is in the sea, Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. Anyway, and then it goes on to speak of the restoration of Israel in Isaiah chapter 26. You know, guys, Jeremiah, Isaiah, 
Daniel, Hosea, Nahum, Habakkuk, Jesus, Peter, Paul, Jude. They all wrote about things that were coming so that we might know. If you haven't placed your faith in Christ, you need to place your faith in Christ. Because salvation is only found in Christ. There are none good, no, not one. That's what the Bible says. There are none who seek God, no, not one. The Bible says when we open our mouth, lies come out. The Bible does not paint humanity in a very good picture, you know, in a very good way. But the Lord came to redeem us, to change us, to make us new. I, uh, Nehemiah, my son, I guess he's the only Nehemiah around, um, he He'll call me every now and again. Today he called me. I, I need to talk to you. I said, okay, well, let's talk at church, you know. And he, he gets, he, he's studying the scripture, and he's just, and the, he's just really, the Lord's just kind of showing him things, and he's just kind of having these, like, uh, mind-blowing experiences with the word of God. And he keeps saying to me, and then he'll apologize and say, I'm sorry, Dad, I know you know these things. But he says, if we only knew who we are in Christ, if we only truly believed what Christ had has in store for each one of us, if we, and he just kind of, he kind of goes on a rant like that. And then I'll give examples and examples and examples. And sometimes I'll say, no, 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 Dad, but that's not what I mean. What I mean is, and then he'll kind of show me some scripture and everything. He says, do you know what this means, Dad? You know? and, and I love the fact that he's zealous about these things. And you know what, guys? That's how all of us should be. And that's how all of us will be if we're in the word of God. You know, I, I, I use Nehemiah as an example quite often because... Um, you know, I got Nate, he's steady, he knows the word of God. Uh, you know, I remember the first time Nate did a Sunday morning service, we had people at the church leave. And you know why they left? Because of pride. This is what one of them said. You have elders in that church, don't you? Why are you letting a kid teach the, the, the congregation? You know, now, he, he looked like he was like 14, but I mean, he was, he was married to my daughter at the time. And, I, and so, and, you know, and I just came back and I said, so, so what was wrong with the teaching? Doctrinally, was there something wrong with the teaching? Well, no, there was nothing wrong with the teaching. The problem was is that the fellow used to attend a home Bible study that met in Nate's parents' home in Minnesota, 
And Nate was just a kid when he went to that, and he just could not get over the fact that this kid knows how to handle the word of God and taught it clearly, presented it clearly, and he was offended by it and left the church. So I've got Nate, uh, you know, he's steady. He, he studies the scripture. Um, I remember years ago, we were going through the book of Daniel. I don't even think we were switching off like this. I think I remember asking him, I said, hey, would you like to do a Wednesday night? And he said, sure. And, and we were coming to one of the most difficult chapters of Daniel. It's Daniel chapter 11. Daniel chapter 11, if you've studied it, every verse changes. Every verse is speaking of, I mean, it is so, and I'll be honest, I, I've taught it before, and I just felt like I don't have the energy. <laughs> and I know that I just won't do it justice. And so I kind of I said, you know, Nate, why don't you take that? And I remember, I remember sitting back there, and I think that was really one of the first times that I was so impressed by how he handled the Word of God. He took it to heart. He studied the scriptures. Just talking about Alexander the Great. Da, 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 ba, da, ba, da, ba. And I'm sitting there and I'm taking notes. And I'm like, oh, I, I never caught that before, you know. And, and I thought, the well, this is really good, you know. I mentioned Nehemiah because, you know, Nehemiah, he grew up in the church. But Nehemiah didn't always have the zeal. Nehemiah lived a lot of his adult years, and he regrets it as a double-minded man, unstable. But when he gave his heart, listen, it's not, see, we, we think it's, I give my heart to Jesus, and that's where we stop. It's like, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. Well, he was saved, he's going to heaven. But when he gave his heart to the word of God, to the study of the scripture, the Lord just, and sometimes, you know, sometimes when I listen to these two men as they're, we're talking, all three of us are talking, and, and sometimes I, I'm just really kind of surprised by the insight and the things, and, and um, you know, Nehemiah, you know, he did a teaching at our men's thing, and, you know, it was just <laughs> such a, the way he delivered it and, and, and everything. And I, I came home and I told Tracy, I said, you know, babe, I don't know that I would have taught that portion of Scripture. It's a wonderful portion of Scripture, but, but he taught it, and it just kind of had an impact upon a number of the men that were there. And, and it was just a, a beautiful thing. And I just think this is available for absolutely every man and every woman. And yet so few of us take hold of it. And I, I want you to take hold of it. Even if you never taught a Bible study, it's not about necessarily teaching, but for your own, your own pleasure. You know, in our home, Tracy teaches women's Bible study. I, of course, teach. And so when Tracy's preparing for her study, you know, um, we, we can sit in the same room and not really say much to each other. She's doing her thing and I'm doing my thing. And, um, and then, you know, Tracy will usually break the silence and she'll maybe ask a question or she'll make a statement and a comment. And here we are. Now, there's, we're not teaching anybody. There's no one else there in the living room. And we're being edified 
by talking to each other about this. Oh, yes. Oh, that is so good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I didn't think of that. That is wonderful. Oh, you know, and there's also this. Oh, that's good. That's, that's a great thing, you know. It's so beneficial. The Lord wants to bless his children. And he wants us to, to know the word of God and to love the word of God so that we could have this enthusiasm in the last days. Guys, please give yourself to the word of God in prayer, please. I know I'm keeping you real long. First service last week. Time change, few people there. I've been studying one of my favorite portions of scripture in the whole Bible, John chapter 3. I have enthusiasm. I can't wait to teach it. The Lord had shown me some fresh things, some new things. I couldn't wait to teach it. And I get up and I start teaching. And I'll tell you, there was a part of me that I was just so brokenhearted because it just seems like there's just such, not that you need to be standing on the edge of your seat. I don't want to, you know, beg, you know, waiting for every word that comes out of my mouth. It's not that, but just that there would be this, I've spent time in that same chapter. I don't know how far he's going, but I know that the Lord spoke to me on this. It will have an effect. I think we got a really good thing going. I don't, I don't understand why this church has not grown over the years. We love the Word of God. We teach the Word of God. We worship God. Sometimes after a teaching, sometimes after worship, We'll say, that was hard today. That was difficult today. Sometimes I'll say to our worship leaders, I wish people would worship. I mean, I wish people would sing out. I'm not judging anyone. I'm just, I'm just observing. I, I, I'm just, I, you know, and I, and I just feel like if there is the intake, there will be the outflow. It is just, it is a supernatural thing. I'm taking in the word of God. Oh, I'm so thankful. Oh, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be a people that truly love you. We sought in Jeremiah that seek you with all of our heart. They're the ones, Lord, you, you tell us, that find you, the ones who seek you with all their heart. Lord, we read tonight, we passed over it, but through the chastening, your people call out to you. And sometimes that's what it takes, Lord. And we pray, Father, that we would be a mature people when we're being chastened or when we're going through trials or difficulties, that we wouldn't boo-hoo, but that we would say, this is appointed by God. Lord, I'm listening. 
like little Samuel. I'm listening, Lord. Speak. And then we'd have ears to hear what your spirit has to say to us, Lord. Please, we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would use us in these last days. We pray, Father, for those that have gone and watched the Jesus Revolution movie and you kind of leave the theater thinking, oh, I wish I was there back then or I wish it was like that now, that we'd realize it's not a time, it's a people. The enthusiasm begets enthusiasm. The love for Christ begets a love for Christ. And, and Lord, even though the movie Jesus Revolution doesn't really, didn't really show it accurately, Pastor Chuck loved your word and taught your word unabashedly. And it created a love for your word in those hippies. And we thank you, Lord, that you're still doing that to this day. You're, you're, you're moving upon the hearts of your people. You're giving them a love for your word. And that love for your word causes us to have a burden for the lost. So help us, Lord, to be a people that can really be used by you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.